This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. My name is Doug Parker. Very happy to have you here, my friend. Coming up on this week's show, a review of MSC Seaside. Marley checks in with her three nights sailing aboard the Seaside, and it sounds just like our review the other day. MSC still doesn't have their stuff together, so uh, Marley will unpack all that for us in just a little bit. President of TripInsurance.com, Dan Skilkin, drops by to answer some of your listener questions. And as always, waiting in the wings is staff writer Richard Sims. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. A good run of bad luck for a Royal Caribbean ship. Talk about disappointing. Imagine you fly to Seward, Alaska, and you're all set. You're going to like enjoy a seven-day cruise, only to find out once you're on board, yeah, the ship is broken and you're not going anywhere but home. That's what basically happened for passengers who boarded Radiance of the Seas last week. Um, They were basically told, whoops, we have a propulsion issue and the ship's not going to sail. Now, there were some other ships sailing over the next few days from various lines out of that same area. But, you know, it's kind of tough, especially at the last minute, to like just suddenly switch everything over and get on a different ship um, from a different line. You'd have to make a whole new booking. Plus, you know, you probably spent a fair amount of money on the Alaskan cruise, and you're not going. You are going to get a refund from that, but it's not like it's in- instantaneous, and you can just take that money, have it slapped on your credit card, and then put it back on for to sail on, say, you know, a Holland America ship that's leaving two days from now. Also, the closer you get to sailing, the harder it is to get on a ship for various reasons, um, including you know that they have to lock their itinerary in place. So, you know, this was not a great situation. Yes, guests got their money back. And yes, they got a future cruise credit for a future sailing. Uh, and yes, you know, they they probably got money to help deal with flight changes and such. But at the end of the day, it's a big disappointment. And to me, it, it seems like this kind of situation would be even more disappointing than, say, you know, a trip to the Caribbean. Alaska sailings tend to be special. You know, they're more expensive. They take a lot of planning because you figure you may only do this once. You want to see everything you can do. I know I had a trip that my sister and I were going to do to Alaska a couple years back, and we spent a lot of money on it and a lot of time. And then thanks to the shutdown, we didn't get to go. So this is kind of more disappointing than just any old, you know, sailing, especially for people who cruise, um, who, who only, like I said, are thinking this is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. I will say the other thing is it's a great reminder to always, 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 always have trip insurance. I know people who have taken 20 cruises and said, oh, I don't need it. I never used it. But then you have that one trip where you do need it, and you know it's just not worth the risk to travel without it. For me, the two things I always buy are trip insurance and a drink package. But that's a different conversation. Uh-huh. When I saw this story pop up on the wire, my mind went back to 2019 when Ashley and I went to uh, Vancouver to Seward and it taking 19 hours to fly from Anchorage back here to Jacksonville. And that's, you know, you have to also assume there's all these people who are now all competing for flights. And if they want to stay a couple days, there's, you know, the hotel rooms and you got to find it's just it's just a nightmare. I really feel terrible for everyone who was there, you know, and it's just it's just not a great situation. And plus, on top of that, the next cruise was also canceled. So you've got all these people who have plans to come in 
as well, and their trip is being canceled. It's just a it's a sad situation all around, and I'm blessed that I've never had it happen um, under those kind of circumstances. So, you know, knock wood, hope it never happens. <laughs> a missing person from a Carnival Cruise Line ship. This is a little bit of an intriguing story because, you know, this isn't your typical story where um, someone falls overboard, say, and, um, you know, they search, but they don't find them, or they search and they do find them. In this case, the, the young man, his name was Kevin, McCar- uh, Kevin McGrath. He's 26. He was on the Carnival Conquest over Labor Day weekend, and the ship was going from, like, Florida to the Bahamas. He was last seen by his brother at his cabin around 2 a.m. On He was supposed to go the next morning and meet the families, you know, as they disembarked, and he never showed up. And they did a search of the ship and couldn't find him. And they looked at the security footage, and they have no evidence that you know, he went overboard or anything. So at this point, and, you know, we have no idea this could change by the time someone listens to this, but as of right now, he is a missing person. It's like something off of, you know, In Search Of or or, or some mystery show because there really is no clue exactly what happened to this guy. Yeah, such a bizarre story. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Like, I want to hear the end of this story. Uh, I want to know, you know, was he hiding somewhere on board really, really, really well, <laughs> you know, or did he go overboard where, or did he just somehow get off the ship and nobody noticed, you know, like maybe there was a glitch in the software that you used to get off the ship and they scanned his card and he got off the ship, but it didn't register him getting off the ship. There's, there's just, it's really intriguing to find out where this guy really is. Yeah. A lot of moving parts here. So the weather has caused some interesting disruptions, not only here in the Caribbean, but up in Bermuda as well. Ah, the joys of traveling during hurricane season. You you basically have to be prepared for anything. Um, The weather messed with a bunch of sailings, although in some cases, it was probably a good experience for guests. Uh, For example, the Norwegian Joy wound up having to stay in Bermuda a day longer than expected, which I'm sure thrilled a lot of people on board. You know, woohoo, another day of vacation. Of course, those on the next sailing probably weren't happy because it meant their cruise was getting cut short for the short by a day. Um, Carnival Paradise also saw its sailing out of Tampa impacted when the port was closed for a while. So as a result, those guests got an extra day on board, and just like with Joy, um, those on the next cruise wound up losing a day. What was different in that case and made this kind of a unique scenario was that was only a like a three-day sailing, I think it was, to begin with, and it was supposed to make a port stop, and it actually got turned into a cruise to nowhere. Now, why that's so, you know, kind of interesting to me is cruise to nowheres are illegal they they up until about uh, 12 years ago cruise lines did them all the time but then this old maritime law that hadn't been in effect for years and years and years went it, they for some reason decided to put it back into effect and that law basically says any ship leaving an american port has to touch foreign soil before it comes back and so you can't do a cruise to nowhere because you know you can't just go out in the ocean do do a loop-de-loop and come back anymore which is what my first cruise to no- nowhere did it was an overnighter so they got there are certain circumstances you know extenuating rare circumstances under which permission can be granted to do a cruise to nowhere and that's what happened here so um these folks ended up doing you know a day shorter and doing a cruise to nowhere they they just they did not go to a foreign port and then came home 
obviously, you know, each of these impacted cruises meant people had to change flights home or those who were suddenly in Tampa with an extra day to kill had to find hotel rooms. And again, just like the story at the top of the show, this is another reminder, you know, like these, how many times a week do we have to tell people get cruise insurance? Because it really, 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 like I said, you may not, you may never use it. God willing, you never use it. But the one time you do need it, you want it to be there. Now, these kind of expenses probably aren't all that bad. Like, you know, you have to spend a night in a hotel or something. Not that bad. But get airlifted off a ship and you're looking at like $25,000 out of pocket if you don't have insurance. So get a policy, make sure you know what it covers and, you know, always have one. I'm just picturing a cruise to nowhere, like back when you did it, just being a like three days of total debauchery. Is that what it's it like? It was awful. I will tell you this. That was my very first cruise. I just, I wanted a cruise to nowhere to see if I would get seasick because I wasn't really sure. I had never, you know, done anything like this. It was an overnighter. It was Valentine's Day, as I recall, or Valentine's Day weekend. And I... Just, I remember at one point seeing one of the crew members who was a bartender, like kind of go behind the scenes where nobody could see them, but I was sort of standing nearby. I saw them crying because people on this ship wanted nothing but to get as drunk as they could on this one night trip. It was a, it was basically a booze cruise. And I just, it was, it was a lot. I mean, I had a great time, obviously, and I it was the beginning of my cruise experience, and I've been doing it ever since, and I love it, and I do wish Cruise to Nowheres would return, because I think they are a great introduction to cruising, but yeah, I felt bad for the crew, that's for sure. Disney Cruise Line has detailed their upcoming ship, Disney Treasure, due out next December. A lot of the same, but also some things different. Every time Disney rolls out a new ship, they do one of these very splashy videos. You know, it's like a half hour and there's a storyline and there's, you know, a face in it that you probably recognize. And that shouldn't come as a surprise because, you know, Disney is also a huge movie studio. So they have everything at their disposal to make these kind of things. And on a side note, it's interesting that we're seeing a lot of other cruise lines do things like this. You know, Norwegian puts out a series of videos for each of their new ships and the the making of an icon series that Royal Caribbean has been doing. And I really think a lot of this was inspired by Disney, who has been doing this for several years now. Anyway, even though the Disney treasure won't be out until December of 2024, this week we got a sneak peek of what will be found on board. Now, I have to say, I usually love these things. I love these videos, and they're always fun, but I this one didn't do it for me. I, the whole treasure map concept was kind of weird and confusing, and some of the renderings, especially of the atrium, looked a little janky, especially since there are way better pictures out there, you know, renderings of what this is going to look like. There are way better out there than what they actually ended up using in the video, so that seemed odd to me. But we did learn a lot. For example, um, there's going to be a new Marvel-themed dining experience. So, you know, the Marvel's all the rage. That's going to be a big hit. And, of course, Marvel and Disney have this whole partnership thing. There will also be a Periscope pub inspired by the submarine that was featured in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sun, uh, under the Sea. And this is the first time that Disney has taken a theme park ride and incorporated it onto the cruise ship because you know you you might remember years ago there used to be a 20,000 leagues under the sea ride where you would go on the submarine and you would like you know look at the undersea life and whatever but this won't be the only example of a ride inspired venue because 
the ship is also going to have something called Skipper's Society Lounge, and it's based on the very famous attraction, the Jungle Cruise. Um, I, from what they were saying, it sounds a lot like they are going to be having their servers making a lot of the same kind of jokes that people either love or hate when the skippers make them on the Jungle Cruise, but that looks kind of fun. The Treasure is also going to feature venues and shows inspired by some of the more modern Disney films. Like a lot of the times, the things we see are based on older movies and older, um, you know, older, older characters like Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. But here we're going to see stuff from films like Coco. They're doing a whole interactive theater dining experience built around the movie Coco. There will be um, things built around Zootopia. Uh, the Aqua Coaster will feature a whole new storyline. In other words, there's a lot of new stuff on here, but you're right. It is in some ways similar. You know, like the atrium is basically the same atrium you see on other ships, except this time it's built around Aladdin. Uh, the treasure, when it arrives, is going to do a seven night Eastern and Western Caribbean sailings out of Port Canaveral. And I have yet to do a Disney cruise, but I really, you know, whether it's this one or one of the other ones, I really want to do that in the next year or so. It's it's, it's always a little off-putting because Disney cruises are more expensive, but they don't have a casino, and I figure that's how I'll counter the, uh, uh, you know, yes, I'll be paying more on the cruise, but I won't be spending money in the casino, so we'll see. If you want to do a deep dive into Disney treasure, uh, check out a couple of resources out there. There's the DCL blog podcast with Scott. There's the DCL duo podcast. Also, uh, Chris has the DCLcruisingdad.com. So a lot of good resources if you're looking for some Disney cruise information. And with that said, we'll move on to the last one here, a big rescue at sea. Yeah, we hear these kind of things all the time. And if you don't follow Captain Kate on um, Instagram, you really should. She's really entertaining and very smart and puts out fun videos and informative videos and great videos. In this case, we found out that the Celebrity Beyond, the ship she is currently helming, was called upon to assist in a rescue of, I believe there were 20 people trapped on a fishing boat. And um, now they did not have to go and bring those people on board. This was a case where they were basically used to provide shelter. Now, we hear a lot about how um, ships are blown off the moorings because, you know, the side of a ship is sort of a giant sail. And so you hit that just right with a really with some really forceful wind. And it's it's it creates an effect that sometimes causes the ropes to snap and takes a seat. Well, here they did just the opposite. They wanted to use the ship as a barrier to help provide protection as the people on board the ship were being rescued. So once again, you know, this is a situation where maritime law basically requires any ship that is in the area of another distressed vessel to render aid if it's at all possible or if they're called upon to do so. And, you know, the captains are always happy to do so. In this case, it didn't impact their ultimate itinerary at all. Sometimes we do see things impact, um, you know, because it might take longer than expected. But it didn't in this case. Everything went on and they got to do their good deed. Listener question comes from Don over in Stillwater, Oklahoma. He's sailing on Celebrity Apex this winter and he's now very confused about all the changes in the Celebrity Cruises camp. Aren't we all. I have to say, my friend Barbara Foster um, had a conversation with basically the people at Celebrities. She's she's a travel agent, so she kind of went to them and was like, you know, I have a lot of questions from my customers. 
can you help me sort this out? And she provided a lot of really good information because there's quite a bit of bad information making the rounds. So let's let's talk about a few of the changes that they've made. Like, for example, people heard that those in the Aqua Suites and the Aqua Sky Suites, that they were going to be losing, um, they weren't going to be getting the nighttime canapes that um, that are left for you at the end of the day. And that's not true. They're going to be giving you the option to say, I don't want them, which is great. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a cruise ship and I always tell them I don't want the chocolate-covered strawberries and they always wind up in my room. And I I can't give them away. I have to throw them away, and it's such a waste. The other thing that there's been a lot of talk about is the butler situation. So here's the scoop on that. Even though there are rumors that like basically butlers are going away or that nobody's going to have dedicated butlers, none of that is actually true. What's happening is those in celebrity suites and higher will still have a dedicated personal butler. Those in aqua suites and that's that in that range they will instead have a butler team. And the way this works, at first I thought that sounded kind of, I didn't like the sound of it, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me how it works. So if you are staying in these type of suites and you know you have the retreat, you have concierges who are amazing and all you do is you call them and you tell them what you need and they make sure it happens. The way the butler teams will work is if you have a request that you would normally make to your designated butler, you just make it to the butler team through the concierge and they dispatch whoever's available. It's sort of like if you are, you know, ordering from Instacart. It, you don't have a personal Instacart shopper, but there are a whole fleet of Instacart shoppers, and the, the one who is available is going to help you. And I think that in some ways, that's a really, really great idea because it means if your personal butler was off doing something for somebody else, you wouldn't be able to, you know, you might have to wait for that service. But because they're doing it as a team, there's a whole fleet of them and whoever's next in line, you know, it's sort of like the taxi stand in front of an airport. That person is going to be the one who comes and takes care of you. So I think that's very, very cool. The one thing that um, everybody does need to know is that the tipping situation is changing. They um, basically the all included will not be quite as inclusive because tips will no longer be included. Uh, we 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 don't know exactly how this is going to impact pricing, whether, you know, the fact that they're taking tips, which were previously included out of that package, whether we'll see, you know, a commensurate amount drop on the price or what will happen moving forward. We also don't really know how well the Butler system will work. Um, as Barbara pointed out, this is going to be the kind of thing where over time we hear reports from people. So, you know, it will be, um, it'll be great the first time you have somebody on to interview them about their trip on a celebrity ship and they we're in, you know, one of these aqua class suites that have the team of butlers as opposed to the dedicated butler. Did it work as well as they expected? I will say that personally, I did my first celebrity cruise earlier this summer. I was on Celebrity Summit. I was in the retreat. I had a personal butler. I had no idea what to do with him. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, he would come by every day and be like, is there anything I could do for you? Uh, no. Uh, I did, however, avail myself quite a bit of the concierges. They were really helpful in making plans for things. And I suppose I could have asked the butler as well, but 
the concierges were right there and they're so convenient and it's a great system that works. So like I said, it'll be, it'll take a couple of months to see how this all sorts out, especially where pricing is concerned. This does go in effect for any bookings after October 4th. If you've made your booking before October 4th, it's not an issue, which actually sounds like the situation for Don, the person that we're, that we're answering this question for is he probably, um, if he, if he's sailing this year, he probably, um, booked it already, which means that most of this will not impact him at all. The concierge service, I didn't really understand what exactly it would do on a ship. Like I get it like on land and such, but I was surprised, Richard, when we were sailing on Getaway last year and I had to hop off the ship to get to Miami, they did everything. They printed out all the paperwork I needed, the forms and everything, and walked me down to the gangway to get off the ship in Nassau, Bahamas. It was kind of cool what they actually do. Amazing. Uh, That was Omar who was, we were on one of his last sailings as a concierge. He was moving into a different um, department by his own choice mm-hmm. with Norwegian. But yeah, he just, he took care of every single detail. He did, you know, when we arrived back in New York, he did the same thing. He took all of the Haven guests and he put them in a, you know, took us down personally downstairs so that we didn't have to deal with, you know, the the craziness that can be embarkation. I'm doing, um, I'm doing an NCL trip for Halloween, I'm going to be on the escape and I'm not staying in the Haven or a suite or anything. And I, it's, I'm terrified of what I'm going to have to deal with when it comes to disembarkation, (laughs) but, uh, I'm back with the, back with the normal people. There you go. I've been talking with staff writer, Richard Sims. Thank you so much, buddy. Talk to you next week. Talk to you then. You're listening to Cruise Radio, America's trusted voice of the cruise industry. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Marley and her family just returned from a three-night cruise aboard MSC Seaside out of Port Canaveral, Florida. Now, this was a three-nighter, as I mentioned, but also with their 10-week-old newborn. So excited to hear how this is because, Marley, if I'm not mistaken, this is like one of the MSCs, the only cruise line that allows children that young. Is that correct? It is. From what we did um, our research. That's all we could find was MSC. Okay. Well, and also welcome to the show, Marley. Thank you. Yeah. So let's get some pre-cruise thoughts here. Let's take a step back. So what made you want to take this three-nighter out of Port Canaveral and where are you based? So my husband and I are based in Lakeland, Florida. So it was a quick drive over to Port Canaveral. We are avid cruisers. So we wanted to find something very short that we could do with our newborn not really to see if our newborn could handle it, but if we could handle it before diving into a seven-day. All right, so you make your way over to Port Canaveral to embark MSC Seaside. Which terminal is MSC using over there at Canaveral? 
there right next to Disney. Okay. So that's like the NCL terminal, I believe, uh, normally. You go to embark the ship. How was the embarkation process and how much was like the pre-check-in process involved before you got to the pier? Like how much paperwork did you have to do in advance and how much did you have to show at the actual pier once you got to Canaveral? So for paperwork, they had to print off a kind of like a COVID questionnaire. But when we got to the pier, they didn't ask for it. So I don't know if that was necessary. Mm. Um, as for documentation, for an infant, a birth certificate was fine. And for my husband and I, we have passports. Okay. It was very quick. Our embarkation time was 2.30. We saw on a cruise group that people were just getting right on the ship. So we headed over around 1 and was able to get right on. You mentioned at the top of the interview that you're an avid cruiser. Have you sailed MSC before? Never. Okay. So what were your first impressions once you walked into that atrium on MSC Seaside? We both thought the ship was beautiful. They have this crystal staircase right in the atrium. Breathtaking. Everyone was taking photos in front of it. It was, we've seen photos, but just, it didn't do it justice being actually looking at it. Yeah, it's probably one of the, or that class of ship rather, is probably one of the most intense atriums uh, at sea, uh, at least currently. And you make your way to your stateroom. Of course, it was you, the husband, and your newborn, the 10-week-old. Now, when you get to your stateroom, I want to ask you, I guess, one, um, how was it over the three nights and what kind of stateroom was it? But did you bring anything additional on board, like a pack and play or anything for the little one? So we decided to bring a bassinet because she is very tiny. We didn't want to use a pack and play. They did allow you to bring one and another family member with their baby did bring a pack and play, which they use. The cruise ship would provide one if needed, but there was a lot of infants on the cruise that we were on. So they did not have any available for us if we did want one. Okay. Um, as for baby gear, we brought, um, like I said, our own bassinet. We brought a beach tent, a fan. Just anything we thought she might need doing a beach day. What kind of stateroom did you have and how was it for the three nights? So we had an ocean view and we loved it. The ocean view window kind of has like a window sill that you could, I don't know if you can sit on it, but we used it to change diapers, use it as storage. So we thought it was nice and it was plenty of room for us. And as far as storing your luggage, the bathroom size, uh, enough plugs in there, was it all sufficient? It was, yep. So let's talk about the dining on this ship. And of course, uh, is this the ship that has um, this class of ship that has two like two buffets, like one on eight and one in 16 or something like that? Yes. So how were the buffet areas? That's honestly where we ate for all lunches, dinners, breakfast. We did the main, I'm um, sorry, we did the buffet area. Um, we did not like the main dining area. And I'm curious, why was that? We thought everything was very slow coming. And by the time we got anything, the food was cold. Hmm. One of the nights they served uh, chicken and waffles. And I ended up getting food poisoning because the chicken was undercooked. But I didn't notice it until a couple bites in. You know, That's one thing MSC just can't get their hands around is that is good food service. And I, I've been sailing MSC. Like I was out, my first cruise with them, I think was in 2010. And I had the same exact issue like that you had, but uh, I had like fish that was still raw. But it's just like they really, you would think that 13, almost 14 years later, they would have a 
uh, a hold on the whole food situation, especially how aggressive they're expanding in the North American market, you know? Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. As far as other, you mentioned you went to the buffet all the time. Is there a difference between the buffet on deck eight and 16? No, we didn't notice a difference. The deck 16 buffet, I believe it was called Biscayne Bay. It was very small and we actually liked that one better. It was less crowded, Mm -hmm. but we ate the pizza every day. The pizza was absolutely incredible. And then no other places to eat, just to clarify, like no specialty, no other poolside venues. You just talk to the buffet for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yeah, we didn't do any of the specialty dining with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we found out that she could not go to baby care. There was some misled information um, from MSC themselves on the phone. They said they would take her, but once we got on the ship, they said, Infants have to be one years of age in order to drop off. Well, that doesn't surprise me. So how was the entertainment on this three-night cruise? We didn't mind it. We enjoyed the comedy shows and the Michael Jackson show. We did some of the trivia. We just really stayed indoors. It was too hot to do pool days with the baby. So we enjoyed the entertainment. Any like musical events happening around the ship, whether it be like uh, that big atrium normally hosts like some massive dance parties or live music, anything like that? Or were you more, you know, steering clear of that because you had the little one with you? We definitely steered clear. We brought a stroller and our stroller is massive and Mm -hmm. we weren't prepared for all the people. So we mainly wore her. And people see a newborn and they just want to flock to her and touch her. And so we were a little uncomfortable in the big dance party. So we steered clear of it. Gotcha. So with this being a three-night cruise, it only went down to their private island. So how was your sea day as far as crowds and congestion? Our only sea day was Friday, or I'm sorry, Thursday, leaving the port. So it wasn't too bad. Wow. Okay. So it was all pretty clear then. Like if you were trying to get from point A to point B, not a lot of people out, or if you're at the buffet for breakfast, lunch, or dinner on a sea day, easy in, easy out. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. We had read that there might be lines at the bars and we didn't deal with that. They were pretty fast moving at the bars. Okay. Before we get to MSC's private island, what other cruise line private islands have you been to in the Bahamas or Caribbean? We have been to Royal Caribbean, mm-hmm. not Perfect day at Coco Cay, the Labadee. Mm-hmm. We've been to Half Moon Cay, Disney's private island, and also Norwegian's private island. Okay, so you've basically been to almost about all of them. So how does Ocean Cay compare to the rest? There wasn't a whole lot to do, but with the baby, it was perfect. It was very calm. We loved how calm the water was in the lagoon. As for adults, if we didn't have the baby, we would be bored with the lack of excursions or just something to do on the island. I'm curious, how was the shade there? Because I went there on opening weekend. So we're talking like back in 2019, the palm trees, everything was bare. There were no leaves on anything yet. Um, Has the, I guess, the vegetation developed where the, you could have shade under a palm tree or a tree if you want to, if you're out by the beach or whatnot? Yeah, we actually had loungers set up right underneath a palm tree. And then we also brought the baby beach tent which was amazing. MSC is one of the cruise lines that lets you use the drink package on the island. Did you have the drink package for this cruise? We both did. And we were disappointed. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Why is that? So MSC is an Italian cruise line from what we've heard. Mm -hmm. And they offered Aperol Spritz and a Hugo Spritz, which is my husband and I's favorite drink. They didn't have Aperol the entire cruise. And for a Hugo Spritz, it's St. Germain and Prosecco, and they didn't have any St. Germain. <laughs> Good God. 
gosh. That was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I would say, uh, being an Aperol Spritz fan myself and going on an Italian line, that's kind of like you, you might not have the, the beef or the burger meat, but you should probably have some bottles of Aperol. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so you didn't have the Aperol. How about on the island? Were you able to get anything on the island? We did not drink on the island. This was kind of my first outing as a new mom. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of my first drink, my first everything. So we were taking it easy. You didn't let your hair down too much is what you're saying. No, I did not. Gotcha. So now was this uh, like a late night? I know that MSC does a lot of late night sailings or overnight sailings at the private island. Did you have one of those? Yeah, we spent the night at the island. We did miss the light show, however. You make your way back then to Port Canaveral. Now, was this like a, is it an overnight sailing going back? Like you leave in the middle of the day at like at noon or four o'clock and you're back in Canaveral the next morning. How does that route back work? Yeah, we were supposed to leave at noon, but they decided four o'clock we could still make it back on time. So the ship left at four. And then once you got back to Port Canaveral, how was the debark process? It was pretty easy. We decided to carry everything off so we could be one of the first people off the ship. And with her having a birth certificate, That line was a little bit longer, Mm -hmm. but it was still very smooth. Any first time tips to offer anyone who's sailing with an infant? Bring whatever you would use at home. They were very accommodating. They didn't care about the powdered formula, baby snacks. They didn't mind the jugs of water. They were very nice about having a baby. They were all excited. Honestly, we just, we kept it simple. We didn't overpack, but any everyday essentials we brought. As you mentioned earlier, anytime you have a baby in arms, you're always the the little one is always the star of the show. So how do you how do you react with that? Like are you do you just keep on rolling when you're walking by and people are giving you a lot of attention or are you stopping and interacting with everyone? We definitely stopped and engaged. My husband wore her and she has these heart sunglasses. So we were referred oh. to as the hangover couple That's cute. <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> How was your interaction with the customer service on board, whether you had to go to the guest relations desk or the bar service or even your cabin steward? We never met our cabin steward, um, but everyone else was very nice. The only one instance we had was in a gym on the very first day. My husband wanted to check it out because we are avid Peloton riders. So we wanted to check out the cycle class. And the gym attendant yelled at us for having open-toed shoes in the gym. Whoa, okay. On the first day, which was kind of weird. You would think they would try to be a little kinder because they're trying to upsell you on those uh, those extra fee classes. Right. Looking back here, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? I think just experiencing something new with a baby because we've cruised so many times. And when you do something with a little one, It's a totally different experience. Do you think you'll sail MSC again? No. So we had a European one booked for June of 2024. And when we got home, we immediately canceled it. Um, The beds were absolutely terrible. I slept on the couch the whole time and just gave my husband the bed. Um, And that was something everyone seemed to be complaining about on the ship was the beds. How about the, uh, I didn't ask you this, how about the casino as far as like the smoke situation in and around it? Because you have to kind of navigate through or around the casino to get to a couple places on the ship. It honestly wasn't too bad. We've dealt with some smoky casinos, but we did walk through with the baby and it was not overwhelming, which we were thankful for. Awesome. Well, in your final thoughts here, Marley, um, of MSC Seaside. Well, it is definitely an affordable cruise line, which we 
have come to find out with having a little one, a lot of cruise lines are charging a lot of money for an infant and MSC seems to be the cheapest cruise line out there. So for your money, it's definitely worth going and checking out, especially if you want to have a vacation with your little one and you're on a budget. I do think it's a great option. Just pack your own Aperol next time. Absolutely. If you go again. <laughs> we've been we've been talking with Marley about her three-night cruise on MSC Seaside out of Port Canaveral. Thank you so much for stopping in and giving us this review, Marley. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Doug. Have a question or a comment for the show? Send an email or voice memo to Doug at cruiseradio.net. And here to answer your listener questions is president of TripInsurance.com, Dan Skilkin. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Doug. It's great to be on. Our first listener question comes from Raleigh. He says, there are some aspects of a trip insurance policy that are only available if you take out your policy within 14 or 15 days of your initial deposit. However, I rarely, actually never have all the other details finalized and book at the same time I book my cruise. Can I modify my travel insurance policy after the 14-day window to add additional trip details? And will this negate the 14-day window? The time-sensitive provisions of the policy include coverage for bankruptcy, pre-existing condition waiver, eligibility for cancel for any reason, and sometimes coverage for terrorism at your destination. The big one is the pre-ex waiver. Even if you don't have a pre-existing condition, having the pre-ex waiver will speed up claims processing if you need to file a claim. So buy your travel insurance between within 14 to 15 days of booking your trip, and you'll get a better value because it'll include all these coverages. You might as well take advantage of that. And use the trip cost per person that you book today that's subject to the cancellation penalties. Once you make additional travel arrangements, include those in your policy's trip cost, uh, but only if they're subject to cancellation penalties. All you have to do is just send a quick email to us at support at tripinsurance.com with your new costs and a convenient number we can reach you during business hours so that we can adjust your policy. You just pay the premium difference. There's no penalty for doing this. Uh, it'll cost the same whether you purchase the policy with that total upfront or updated the policy. And modifying the policy does not void the 14 or 15 day time limit. You still get all of those provisions. If your trip costs go down, let us know because if your premium's lower, we refund the difference. Um, if you haven't bought from us, contact your own insurance company and request them to modify the policy. Most, most companies will do this. Now, U.S. Fire will let you insure your deposits with the cruise company as you make them. Nationwide requires you to insure the total trip costs that's subject to cancellation penalties, regardless of the timing of your payments. So the U.S. Fire policy lets you pay for only the insurance that you need as you increase your investment in the trip. That's a big advantage. Again, just email us whenever you make additional payments on your trip or additional uh, travel arrangements. Next question comes from Carlos in San Antonio. You have mentioned the importance of trip insurance several times, but the cost of trip insurance for each trip is pretty high. Do you use an annual trip insurance policy? And do you know if tripinsurance.com provides that? Buying an annual policy is very dependent upon what style of traveling you're doing. If you're doing extremely long vacations, and by that I mean vacations that last more than 90 days, and they don't necessarily have a definitive agenda that you're moving around sort of freeform, then it may make a lot of sense to get an annual policy. But I can tell you that, and, and by the way, we offer travel medical coverage on our site that'll cover you for a year. Annual travel insurance 
typically, though, only covers medical and medical evac. Uh, it has very limited coverage for trip cancellation and trip interruption. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, and, and they cap the limits. But so this leaves you exposed to high cancellation penalties uh, if you're not insuring uh, your cancellation penalties. And you may think you're not worried about trip cancellation coverage because you get flight credits, perhaps, or a credit from the cruise company that you could use later on. Um, but once you start your trip, if you have to cancel because of a covered medical reason, for instance, or any other covered reason, you need the coverage for the loss on the balance of your vacation or the extra cost to get home. Uh, I have never heard of a cruise company refunding the balance of your trip if you had to get off early mm -hmm. uh, to go home because of a covered reason. Um, we have generally found that insuring each of your vacations separately with a comprehensive travel insurance policy is generally cheaper and it provides better coverage. You're not insuring for the times when you're not on vacation and each vacation typically has slightly different coverage needs. And if you have to cancel for a covered reason on an earlier trip, you're generally covered for cancellation on the following trips. So the follow-up trips. So you have some control over the cost of this insurance based on what you declare as your trip costs when you enroll but watch for language that may require you to insure the total cost of your trip that's subject to cancellation penalties. Um, nationwide typically requires this, but U.S. Fire doesn't include that language. So you've got a lot more flexibility in terms of how much you declare for, for um, your trip cost. And we got to talk about it because it's another late hurricane season. How should listeners evaluate travel insurance policies when it comes to cruising during hurricane season? Doug, this is a great question. There are generally two different types of coverage for hurricanes and bad weather. Most policies include a provision to cover you in the event that your destination and sometimes your home becomes uninhabitable due to a hurricane. But a cruise ship is not considered a destination. You got to remember that it's a common carrier and you're moving around on the boat, even though you have accommodations on the boat. The ports you stay in, in an actual hotel, are considered destinations. So we always recommend booking the night before your cruise in a hotel at the departure port if that area is subject to hurricanes like Florida um, uh, or Houston or things like that. That makes the port a destination for the, in the, for the definitions in the policy. And this is important because then that language will kick in if a hurricane hits uh, an area and you're having trouble departing. But there's also a second provision in the U.S. Fire Gold and Platinum policies that cover you in the event of a hurricane warning to the destination or area that you're traveling. Now, this can be really useful with a cruise uh, ship, as you can imagine, because the moment they, they, they issue uh, a uh, weather warning uh, and advise not to travel in the area, you're now covered for as a covered reason for cancellation. So this provides much better coverage for hurricanes. Take a look for, at, for that language in the plan, but make sure to buy your policy as soon as practical after you book your cruise, because this is going to provide better hurricane coverage, because if you purchase the plan after the storm is named, they consider the hurricane a known risk, and they're not going to cover any loss from it. And another question we get a lot here is, are we required to buy the travel insurance policy from the cruise line or from the travel agent or from the tour operator? We've had, we've, Doug, we've had clients that felt pressured 
to purchase travel insurance from their cruise or tour company or travel agent. They called us up and they said, uh, I'd rather buy from you guys, but they're, they're making me buy. And the reality of the situation is that's actually against the law. They cannot require you to buy. They cannot bundle travel insurance with any other products. For instance, uh, cruise credits and things like that. All of those practices are outlawed in all states. Um, the, my, the best strategy here is you've got time to add the insurance. And the easiest way to handle this is to just tell your travel agent or the cruise company that you want to do your research on travel insurance before you add that to your booking. Get the price from them, get whatever documentation they can provide you so that you compare. And, and then go to a comparison site like tripinsurance.com and see what your options are. The travel insurance you buy from the cruise company covers only what you book directly with them. If you book your own flights, they're typically not covered by that insurance policy. And the cancel for any reason portion that you're getting from them is typically paid as a credit for future travel. And you're not covered for bankruptcy. You can insure all your travel arrangements, including what you booked before and after your cruise and your flights with a third-party policy that provides you better coverage at a better price. The policy also cover extra costs if you miss the boat due, uh, due to a covered reason. And the cancellation coverage is going to pay you cash, not credits. See, and that's where the lack of education comes from, because when you're buying a number, you're calling the 800 line at the cruise line, you're buying the cruise, you're buying the travel insurance package through the cruise line. They're telling you what you want to hear. Yeah, it's covered. This is covered. But as we saw with Carnival Paradise being stuck at sea and all those people getting screwed out of their hotel reservations and flight changes, it didn't cover all that. It only covers your cruise portion, nothing outside of your cruise. Doug, what you got to do is watch very carefully. Most of the time, the policy that you're getting from the cruise company is covering the, the, the travel provisions that the cruise company is providing. Mm -hmm. So if you've booked 100% of your travel through the cruise company, including your flights and um, the cruise, um, those are typically included in the cruise uh, insurance. But again, you got to watch the fine print because if you cancel, they're going to pay you credits for a future cruise, for instance, uh, or you're going to get credits from the airlines. It's not explicitly clear that I'm going to get actual cash back from the policy if I do that. But anything that I've booked on my own, I want to add some hotels before afterwards, or I want to do my own flight. Those are generally not covered by the insurance that you're getting from your cruise company because they didn't make those, those travel arrangements. It's for the same reason, for instance, your credit card company, if you're relying on credit card and you know travel insurance that you get from your credit card company, anything that you don't put on that credit card is not necessarily covered by, by their plan either. So this is just a matter that you just got to be careful about how you're booking this and what you're doing. Typically, when you go to a third-party site, you can ensure your cruise, your flights, your hotels, even your excursions are included. And in fact, there are provisions in our plans that will cover you if they change the itinerary for the ship and you lose the money that you prepaid on the, uh, on the, on the shore excursions that you book directly. That's, that sort of stuff is covered by a third-party travel insurance policy that may not be covered by the, the cruise company's policy. As always, Dan, I sure appreciate this. If any of our listeners have a question about their upcoming trips, how can they reach you? Doug, they can send us an email at support at tripinsurance.com. We're always here to help, even if they haven't bought their travel insurance from, uh, from us directly. 
hey, send us an email. We're happy to help you in any way we possibly can. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.